Hey, Doug. Hey, Karen. Happy, Happy election, election night. <laughs> <laughs> Happy election. Okay, so at 9.32, Biden's <laughs> at 1.22. Trump is at 92. I don't really know what those numbers mean. I think, I think those are... Um, not the popular vote. What's the other one called? The electoral college. The electoral college, yeah. thank you. Yeah, we, so someone has to get to 270, and we still have some big-ass states going. And again, I don't really know how anyone was uh, calling this election. I thought, because everything was untrustworthy, that, that we were going to take days to tabulate everything, but everything seems to be being called already. So I don't know. I will I say know. on the air right now what I said to Karen earlier um, I think on our on our sibling podcast uh, tonight to me feels like one of those nights in school when you're hoping for a snow day the next day and you're waiting to see if it's going to snow overnight. You do not know if a storm is going to come or not, and you are not sure what tomorrow is going to be. Um, and either way, you feel unprepared. That is kind of how I feel. I feel like today is special emotional circumstances, even though it is physically a day like any other. Such a weird day for sure. And I will also say, I mean, beyond the presidential race, we do have Senate House races going on. Um, it appears to be the same. Like, it, it appears nothing is going to change in the House and the Senate. It just yeah. all, you know, it looks like the, the, the House is going to the Republicans, the Senate's going to the Democrats. Yeah. Although it is a tight Senate race, it looks like, with 38, uh, 42-38. Isn't it the reverse? The House is going to stay Democrat, Senate will stay Republican? I thought, no, 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 because Pelosi's a senator, right? And she's majority. So that means the Dems have the majority in the Senate. No, Pelosi's Speaker of the House, so she's a representative. Oh, my God. Okay, I screwed that up. <laughs> don't, don't get your political information from me, because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So then, yes, it's flipped. So the House is going to the Republicans Because now. I'll say it, and this is just me talking for me and no one else, because the problem has been the Senate being Republican. That, yes. So that will likely, unfortunately, stay. Yeah, I still um, don't quite understand who does what. But yeah, that, okay, got it. So, so it, looks like, it looks like the Senate is flipping um, and the House is flipping. No, isn't it staying? No, the Senate's 42 down, 32. And if you said Speaker of the House is Pelosi, because she's the major Senate majority. Oh, she's Speaker of the House, not the Senate majority leader. Right, right, right. Sorry, I totally fucked that up. Don't come to us for news. No, don't come to us for news. We have no idea what we're talking about. But in truth, we have some idea. Because there are things that are happening non-politically that um, I have opinions on. Yeah. Talk about them. So what are those? So, well, so, okay, in keeping with what's happening in the news in the election, I can talk about a show called Evil. Have you heard of it? I have, and I think I want to see it. I think it's one of those shows I want to see. Yeah, I think you do. I actually think you might really like it. It was on CBS last year. It was a 13-episode season that just went, um, was added to Netflix last year in advance of Halloween. Um, and it's created by the same um, husband and wife team that created The Good Wife. Uh, some of the cast are holdovers, and it's filmed in New York, so there are oh a lot Oh, my God! Of I watched the first you know? episode of this. Oh, okay. Okay, okay so yes. Great. Okay, we can talk about this. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. 
so we finished out watching the season on Netflix. We had watched it uh, last year and liked it and found it hard to keep up with that and the rest of life. And now that the rest of life has stopped, we were able to, to add it into our repertoire again. But now, um, there's only going to be this one, there's only this one season or did Netflix pick it up and they're going to keep it going? I don't know what the future holds for, but I think there is supposed to be a future. I don't know if it will eventually be back on CBS. I know some CBS shows have come back, some have not, but I think, and Alyssa and I think that it's the L.A. film shows that have succeeded in returning, the New York ones, not yet. Right. Um, so I think we will see future seasons, and I think we will see them back on CBS. I just don't know. But a lot of CBS shows, um, when like the year has run out or whatever, um, have been moving to Netflix. So I think that's just part of the agreement. I don't really know what's happening separately with All Access. Don't know. I'm never going to pay for that. Um, yeah. No. But this... really, and, you, and you know a bit about the show now, so uh, yeah. you know you might be able to, to describe it as well. Um, but we actually really liked it. And it kind of proved to be a, 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 a nebulous, changing thing. And it shape-shifted a couple different times into kind of what its tone was and where the storylines went. But, but we really liked it. Um, well, I, I mean, you actually can speak to it a little bit better than I can, because I've only seen the very first episode, which I assume is the pilot episode, which I've mm -hmm. always found to be the weakest episodes, um, yeah. because you're, it's just kind of one of those getting to know you um, mm -hmm. episodes, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, so the premise, the premise is that there's a forensic psychologist played by Katja, Katya Herbers, I think is Katya her name. Katya Herbers. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but yeah. Right, right. And she's uh, she's kind of paired up with a. It's not a priest, but it's a it's a Catholic. He's like a priest in training. In training, in training. Working yeah. his way up, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The man who plays him, that actor Mike Coulter, is a holdover from the later seasons of The Good Wife. Oh, did not know. Did, well, I don't think he was I also know. Luke Cage. That's right. That's right. Because I was watching it with Anthony, who was like, "Oh my God, that's Luke Cage." I was like, "Oh," <laughs> which I never saw. Um, so, so they end up working together um, to invest investigate supernatural things, and um, and she is a scientist. She doesn't believe. She's not religious. She doesn't believe in demons. She doesn't believe in supernatural. So this is kind of like mind blown for her because she's always trying to like find a reason, a reasonable reason for things. And then um, for, for odd things happening. And it seems like in the first episode, she is probably going to align with um, Asif Manvi is in this, who I love. Um, he's yeah. a, he's a um, New York stage actor. And, um, and he's playing, I guess, like... And wasn't he also um, a correspondent on The Daily Show? Oh, yeah, he was. I always forget that he did Daily yeah. Show. Um, but yeah, he's in this as, as the, the tech guy, I guess. Um, and he's not a believer either. Um, so it's like, he's like, this is just my job, man. I don't believe in this shit, but, um, I guess we will believe eventually. And so it's kind of like they go out and investigate crimes that may or may not be supernatural. But so far in the pilot episode, there has been no supernatural thing that's happened but we are introduced to a character who seems kind of demonic played by yeah. Michael Emerson who is yep. also a New York stage actor who yes, and who excels at those naughty nasty characters like he played on Lost right and he's and and I mean I, like he's 
I worked with him on a project and he's an absolute love. So it's actually so funny to see him playing these creepers. Yeah, he uh, seems like he would be exactly that. The super nice professional guy who can play really insidious, haunting people. Yeah, he's, he's extraordinary and an extraordinarily talented person. He is very, very good. Yeah. yeah, and the show is pretty much um, exactly what you said from from just seeing the setup in the pilot. Uh, there there are cases of the week, um, and and they're usually able to explain whatever the phenomenon is in scientific terms. And then there's always a push pull of, but wait, it looks like there is something else ethereal or supernatural going on too. Um, and there are uh, longer umbrella arcs that are going on as well. Um, in the personal lives of each of the characters, but particularly the Katya Herber's role. She has four daughters. Her mother, played by Christine Lottie, is actually as much of a foe as she is of a friend to her. Um, and, um, I, no, I mean, the, the long and the short of it is uh, we really liked it, and we hope it comes back because, you know, the end of the first season doesn't even end on a cliffhanger. It just seems like there's so much more story to weave out. So, so we were really glad we watched it, and we were really glad we ended up watching it around Halloween weekend. Um, so I encourage people um, who need some sort of escape from real-world badness uh, to, <laughs> to catch season one of Evil in its entirety on Netflix. Well, excellent. I'm glad. We, we will keep going. I actually completely forgot, because then we got, um, we got sidetracked by um, Hellstrom as, oh, as sure. our demonic go-to show so i completely forgot that we had started watching this and now this is a great reminder to go back to this well you know assuming the world will keep turning um there you go happy to have reminded you yes thank you so much so what else you got going on we watched another netflix thing or at least we started it we haven't finished it called the queen's gambit which dropped maybe two weeks earlier yeah i've heard a number of things about this people seem to be enjoying it yeah um I, I still don't fully know what to make of it because I'm not done, but it's an adaptation of a book I'd never heard of. And the guy who did it, Scott Frank, the last thing he did for Netflix was a miniseries called Gobbis, which we really hated. It was, okay. it was long. It was arduous. It was not all the acting was great. Um, but uh, but this is good. It's set in the 50s and 60s, and it's about a female chess prodigy who also has addiction issues. Um, and so we've only seen the first couple. The very first episode, uh, a child actor plays um, the young girl when she's in a home for, for women. Her parents die when she's very young. Um, so that's when we see her first learn how to play chess. Um, in fact, it's the janitor at the facility where she is kept who teaches her chess. And he is played mm. by the actor Bill Camp, who in real life is married to Elizabeth Marvel. And we brought her up last week because she's on Hellstrom. Oh, wow. Look at that. Okay. Look at me. Look at me. Making the wow. ties. It all, it all ties together. Yes. Um, and that first episode is... I won't say it's a slog, but it does feel very, like it hits all the formula notes. It's also where the character as a young girl starts to develop a pill addiction based on what they are giving her in uh, the facility. The second episode changes gears a bit. She's now played by the, the bright young actress Anya Taylor-Joy as a teen who is adopted. Um, and it's what she contends with in her school as well as in her home. Uh, 
the actress playing her mother or her adoptive mother, Mary O'Heller, is very good. And she is also a very good director. She did Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks and Matthew Reese last year. Um, and it's nice to see her act. She also just directed the What the Constitution Means to Me adaptation oh. uh, for Amazon with Heidi okay. Schreck. So okay. she's having a moment, as the kids say. Um, and this episode picked up a bit. Um, still felt on the longish side. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see where the rest of this series goes. I think it's a one-off. Um, and I can see why a lot of people have reacted very positively to it. Anya Taylor-Joy, I should say, is truly an actress to watch. She was great, I thought, in the adaptation of Emma earlier this year and impressive in the movie The Witch from about four or five years ago. Um, she's in Glass and Split and a, very versatile and very confident and very good. So... So yeah, I, after the first episode, was ready to not watch it anymore and gave it another episode. And I'm glad I did, because I think I will keep up with it. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, I was kind of unsure about that. Yeah. If I yeah, wanted to, to watch it. I hadn't seen or read anything about it, hyping it up in any way that kind of showed any appeal to me. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I did. Okay. Cool. So you're welcome, Netflix. Um, <laughs> and um, a slight change, of course. I want to talk about one of my very favorite movie stars of all time. Because Vulture just ran a pair of articles about her. They gave her an honorary award that they have just sort of invented in the last couple of years. Um, and these articles basically say things that I could say in my sleep. And not literally, but because whenever this person comes up in conversation, I almost immediately go into, these are the things I want to say about her. Um, and that's what these articles essentially did. And that person is Whoopi Goldberg, who I maintain is one of the great living stars of my time. I would agree with that. Um, I adore her. So I didn't read through the whole article because it just, I just didn't have a chance. But... Uh, you know, you're right. It was mostly stuff I felt like we knew. Yeah, I mean, the thing about her career is that when it was high, it was as high as any movie star could fly. And then the last 20 to 25 years, <laughs> is you know, it's mostly about her on The View or other things she has said publicly and politically and not really about the talent, um, both as a, a comedian and actress. Um but when you talk about the work, the really great work from the 80s and 90s, particularly The Color Purple and Ghost and, and Sister Act and a movie that was not mentioned in either article, I don't think, Soap Dish, which I think is peerless. Um, I mean, it does not get any better. Like There are, there are people that um, get accolades and good reviews and awards and people talk about, and then they're the ones who really opened the doors for them and created the rules that they have followed. And to me, Whoopi is one of them. And so, uh, you know, when I think about her career, I'm sorry that for reasons almost entirely out of her control, she was not able to stay a top shelf movie star for longer with uh, movies that were worthy of her talent. Um, 
but uh, as uh, but I will always go back to her. And as an Oscar host, a Grammys host, um, a persona, she I just think she is the gold standard. I only went once when I was living in D.C. to the Kennedy Center when okay. they did the annual uh, Mark Twain Prize, right. uh, and that was when she got hers. And of course, she was awesome. And of course, of course, all of the tributes there were the most effusive. Um, um, one of the articles, kind of in praise and putting her career in a kind of, well, duh, but still fair political and social context, uh, was written by Soraya Nadia McDonald, who is kind of a contemporary writer of mine, although she was a Pulitzer finalist this year, and I'm not. Um, and, and it's a well-constructed article talking about what she was able to do in her career. There's also a separate interview with her that I think tries to pull a few punches I disagreed with. Um, so I recommend the Soraya Nadia McDonald article about her and um and oh I, I totally forgot that i've met her whoopi goldberg have you in the 90s she did an event at the national press club and i had a friend at the time whose aunt worked there and she was able to to get us in to to go and so she did a whole you know junket type talk and then at the very end i was able to just go over to her and say hello and i think that was it like i don't remember anything else of the conversation so i think i would have had there been more she was just you know nice and professional and um i think a lot of her work which started with a off broadway and then broadway show mm -hmm. is very personal and confessional and so i think yeah. a lot of people that like her always feel like they identify with her because she says things from experience that ring true so i think even if you've never known her really you feel like um you share a bond with her and that's always something that i felt about her you know, one thing that struck me when I was reading, and I didn't read uh, Soraya's piece, I, I I actually read the other interview with her, um, and I had kind of forgotten that she had the Oscar for playing Seeley. No, you didn't forget. She was nominated but lost. She won she for Ghost. Lost? Oh, she won for Ghost. Yeah. But and I had seriously, forgotten. I, I just she should have won for Color Purple. Yeah, the color per the her color purple performance was extraordinary. Absolutely, I mean, in a movie was, that I adore. She that that's a fantastic debut performance. Yes. Yeah. She, if you ever doubt her talent, as maybe some people in later days do, yeah, just watch that. That movie, yeah. she's everything. Yeah, yeah. and that, I guess that's why, like, because I had, that she got it for Ghost, which was still a fantastic performance. You know, I mean, that's a great comic performance, but yeah. Right? If you yeah. ever doubt her chops, yeah. Yeah, you got to watch The Color Purple. I mean, that was, I mean, she was just tremendous. It was, you know, um, an extraordinary performance of an extraordinary film and an extraordinary character. Um, so anyway, um, I, I just kind of, forgot that she did that and how how out of character that was because I mean really at the time even though she was kind of wasn't she kind of thought of as more of a stand-up comic even though she was more in the vein of Lily Tomlin doing her solo shows like she had that sort of weird yeah that's that's absolutely right yeah you know, she came from comedy but was definitely more of a performer, a more of a solo actress than she was a stand-up. Right. Like, much like Lily. Right. Right. Um, and I don't watch The View, um, but when I have sort of caught it, she's always terrific. 
on the view, yeah. but I, I can't watch. It's like a, it's like a, it turned into a yell fest. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't watch the view. And Everybody. if I did, it would only ever be for her. But that's the thing, like you gotta, th- and I think that they kind of like pointed at this. It, her, her career has been kind of oddball. Oh, for sure. I mean, it definitely has its chapters, its generations, and you can, and they're kind of clearly divided. Like right. there was definitely a period where the movies just stopped because they stopped being commercial and she was a largely com- known to be comedic actress of a certain age who did not have her own production company like mm. so there were few opportunities and you can point to every ism you know ageism racism sexism they all applied they all and, collided and it's still and it's still like she was someone who had been a bankable household name and it wasn't enough Still someone who had won all the awards. She's the only black EGOT winner. Which kind of doesn't mean anything to me, but still says something. Yeah, yeah. What was it about, um, I'm assuming the the interview part, that's the one with that E. Alex Young did? Young, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that's the one that you weren't crazy about. What did you not like about those? Oh, towards the end, they, they or maybe it's just it's still in the middle, um, Alex tries to to get Whoopi to it uh, becomes very political and talks about things that she has said against like AOC and those who have spoken ill about people that were older Democrats like Maxine Waters and Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi and Diane Feinstein as though they hadn't done enough um, and uh, and how she's like that's unacceptable she says because when you talk about the old people who you don't think made enough change you know she's like then you're suddenly saying that john lewis marched for nothing she said all of the rights that you're worried about being taken away were only gotten by people of that generation who gave their all so she was trying to shut that down and then alex young says okay but what about things like the crime bill and doma and whoopi's like don't don't start with that because all of politics is making compromises so Mm -hmm. these are people who had to make compromises just to get people who weren't willing to budge to meet them halfway and even still they admitted they fucked up and she said so if these people say they fucked up don't attack them because they're the only reason you have anything but i felt like it was pointed and alex young was trying to put uh a lot of words and advance the interview in a certain way that i think Whoopi was actually very respectful of um and by the end Whoopi says look i know you have a lot of questions i didn't answer and i'm sorry but these are the responses that i that i have um which is more than i think a lot of interview subjects ever give and is more self-aware than they ever are right um but i right. thought ultimately you know they always talk about when people interview Whoopi. they always want to ask about like when she showed up at Ted Danson's Friars Roast and Blackface. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a 27-year-old art story that most people that I think go to Vulture don't even know about. And now you're casting it and her in a, in a different light than, than really, than the way it was. Because if you weren't there in the moment, then you're just talking about it now in an icky way, is, mm. is the way that I, like, you're, you're not really framing it in the way people were and the way people reacted to things in 1993. Um, and, and both that and the Soraya article sort of cherry pick things, moments and movies from, from Whoopi's career. And, and I don't know that it tells the full story. You know, they talk about how, you know, she's playing a magical Negro character in Ghost. And I'm like, well, but Ghost is not a, a realistic movie. 
like she's playing a person with magical powers to begin with. Like she's not exactly, she's comic relief in a movie about a man who dies and comes back as a ghost. Like this is not, this is, this is not exactly Song of the South. One of the, one of the, the, the things that I read in Alex's piece interview, and I don't remember exactly what move like I, I only remember sister act was the only movie that I seem to remember from the list of movies mm-hmm. but it was it, it was like a list of movies that she got because they were passed on they were passed on by white actresses yeah primarily Bent Mither which sister act was created for initially yes so w- was ghost one of those or was that written to be a black actress or no i don't um well i know it wasn't written for whoopi because she made a point of when she won her oscar of thanking patrick swayze who stood up for her and fought for her to get that part but my guess is it was probably written to be a black character okay i can't but not with her in mind okay because i don't really remember um i mean i remember the movie but i don't remember it clearly enough to be able to say, oh yes, that was, you know, whereas like Sister Act, I actually didn't know that that movie was written for Bette Midler. Like I had no idea. Um, so, so that's where I kind of, I, I was just kind of curious about that. If they had that criticism, like, was that something that was in the script? Was that something they felt would be brought into her performance? Like what, you know, what, where did that, come from was My it was it from whoopi was, was it from the script? script you know and do we criticize the actor for uh, for for doing a role because a job's a job to a certain degree yeah yeah i mean that's a, to a big degree you know i mean you need a job you take the job you know like i don't agree with the actors who are you know, white actors playing roles that should go to, um, you know, actors of color. You know, I, I really yeah. don't, I, I believe that that's a terrible casting. You know, I mean, Scarlett Johansson, stop. Yeah. I know. I feel like just stop. she has finally seen the light or finally listens to her handlers. But um, yeah, no, um, that to me is definitely, yeah, that's. But, you know, in a, this a case, that's like. Different. It's a big movie. It, you know, it was going to be a big movie. Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore at the time were both huge stars. Um, and Whoopi was in her own right back then, right? Because this was after The Color Purple. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, she was definitely huge, but known for playing, and probably wrongly, for playing blue characters. You know, like right. a lot of her movies, she swore a lot. This article also leaves out some of the other significant dramas I thought she did earlier in her career. She does a movie with Sissy Spacek the same year as Ghost called The Long Walk Home, which is about civil rights. And I think it's a terrific and and kind of small movie. It's not just forgotten now. It wasn't known by many then, but she was always proving that, you know, like she had the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that she could do drama and she could do comedy, that she could do family and she could do adult material. Right. Um, so, yeah, but I just, I always just think, you know, she came at every role with, from a place of dignity, even if it was like, you know, you know, like a super like swear word kind of role. I just thought she always inhabited every character with a knowing sense of dignity, yeah. uh, which is why I think so many people cottoned to her and stayed fans of hers. Yeah. Um, and and the Soraya article also mentions that 
you know, when she hosted the Oscars, it's almost painful to look at how the audience is a sea of only white faces, which I think is a little reductive. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of America at that time, everywhere you went were rich white people. It wasn't just Hollywood. So, uh, you know, like, I don't think, I don't think Whoopi was ever knowingly insulting them or, or trying to, to get like a point across when she was hosting those nights. I think just the fact that she did it and having earned her way there was the subversion in itself. Mm. But, but, but I mean, I mean, things, uh, sentences like that can sometimes feel like jabs because that's, that's an indictment of success across the country and how that <laughs> is institutional and has always needed to be righted. Well, you know, um, I think it's sort of interesting that you're picking up on these on these criticisms because it's almost the same thing. Like Whoopi's getting criticized for almost the same thing. Um, her career, I, I should say, is getting criticized for the same thing that she is getting criticized for of, you know, um, disagreeing with AOC or, you know, for, yeah. for, for you know what I mean? Because it's sort of like if something taken out of context will look a certain way, right? And you always need to sort of take a look at things within the context, you know, whatever context they're taken in. So you're absolutely right. 1993 or 1994, the year that birthed Melrose Place, just to sort of circle it on back, right? That's right, back was, on the block card. Yeah. Was a total, <laughs> was, was a totally different time. Right. than we're looking at right now in terms of demographic makeup of the United States, in terms of, um, you know, where we were just as a country. I mean, the civil rights movement was in its infancy, really, when you think about how, how close it was 1960s to 1990s, right? And right. early 90s at that. With, with ebbs and flows along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really in its infancy. And um, and I think like what women had just gotten the right to vote, too. <laughs> I mean, almost. Not I mean, quite, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what it feels like, you know. Um, but yeah, like it was it was definitely a different time. I mean, I always remember her as being a trailblazer, frankly. I've always looked at her as a trailblazer. Yeah. You know, um, so so I do think that it is a little bit unfair to sort of, you know, brand her a certain way when she's when we're looking at it through a 2020 lens rather than a 1980s and 1990s lens. That's yeah. really. And I've always uh, gotten the impression that that behind closed doors, she was always very generous to her entire cast and crew. I heard she always had an open door policy. That, you know, she, you know, as a member of the Academy, always would let other people, like, sign out her VHS and DVD screeners um, so they didn't have to see, pay to see the movies. Um, I think it's mentioned in the Alex Young article when she did Sister Act, a lot of the older actresses, the per diems didn't even cover their food and hotel stays. And so she... So she essentially did like a sick out until that was rectified. Yeah. I mean, I think behind closed doors, she fought a lot of fights you never knew about. 
Wow. And then publicly, like, I remember, I didn't see this on The View, but I saw it after the fact. She yelled at Elizabeth Hasselbeck because she was saying dismissive things against women who were pro-choice because she was pro-life. And Whoopi was like, but I understand that you've never, ever been in the position where you've had to make that choice. So you need to sit down and be quiet. Mm -hmm. know who you're talking to and I'm like you know she will get ridiculed for saying things like that but she's not wrong to say those things no she is not wrong to say those things and you know there isn't a big blow up on the view about how the star is treating the staff just saying right just saying just saying true um so we're whoopee fans yeah Big, big, big fans. There are people I like, and then there are people I love. Like, the ones that I love are ones I would actually love to meet and at some time just have a conversation with. Um, and she would be on that really short list. I, I, I am right there with you. She, I think she is an amazing woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's, that's it. It's not actress, not entertainer. Like, amazing woman, amazing you, person. You know, it's so funny. I was actually talking to my therapist about this um, about last Whoopi? week. No, not about Whoopi, but I think it kind of ties into what we're talking about in terms of Soraya's article and even Alex's article. There's a drive in our culture right now to just harp, to harp, and to be hypercritical. And, you know, you're like everyone is a Yelp review away from being ruined. And, right. you know, you're kind of not allowed a misstep and even sometimes it's not even a misstep sometimes somebody just decides that um you know you're a hot dog stand (laughs) but they're showing up for grilled cheese but you're a hot dog stand but they're angry because you're a hot dog stand because they want grilled cheese do you know what i mean like it's that sort of behavior it's like this this sort of like Burger Kingization, you you know, my way right away, um, crap seems to be going on in, in this country. And if you don't, if they don't get it, if, if they don't get my way right away, you're going to get publicly ridiculed. Yeah, I mean, Alyssa and I talk about it all the time. The way, and it, you know, the current generation. When I say that, is you know, the people who are the most vocal either over social media or in writing or you know if you meet them uh have a real tendency to only respect uh what's now and what's their generation and what's modern and there's no appreciation for what preceded it and built it and they it's just just a burn it down culture it's yeah. like, well, what happened before is different and it's not the way I like things or it's not the way I, I'm used to things and therefore it's bad and I, I uh, want it demolished. And I see it and it permeates all the writing and reporting, I think, that I read now. Yeah, I just kind of wonder if the reporting part of things is like, well, yeah, okay. So I was listening to Brene Brown's um, mm. podcast and also I have, I was listening to an audiobook um of hers and i love her and yeah, i don't care I she's if she's really good a pop psychologist or whatever yeah, I just but think she says savvy things yeah yeah i think she's absolutely amazing and um she was ta- oh god i wish i could remember what it was exactly i hope i like flagged it somewhere because it was sort of like irony that place where we live 
is sort of is ties into shame and Mm. so you know all of these our culture our our journalistic culture of writing about things ironically um is actually deeply rooted in a shaming place and so it's actually not a healthy journalistic mode like you know like we're not reporting and i get it like when entertainment reporting like you're if if you're not like you can break news with like box office numbers Mm -hmm. or casting or projects getting off the ground or what have you but all of these a lot of these like think pieces or even interviews to a certain degree now are sort of like rooted in this weird shaming phenomenon really i mean i mean yeah yeah everything is like the all these things that came along the way were failures in some way and and let me be someone to shout this out yeah and let me and it's and you know and i think that and i think it does a disservice to journalism because i you know believe me i've worked with a number of them where i look at them and i'm like oh here we here we go you're being the hard-hitting journalist no actually you're just being a dick you know it's like oh you're playing the role of hard-hitting journalist today no you're just being an asshole like that's what you're being that is it is every like and i've said this before everyone is a yes but um it's like well so and so may have done this but this also means that or this means that we can't have this or this means now blah 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 is having that and it's like just just focus on what is Dwell on the achievement, dwell on what is good, smart, original, whatever there, and leave out the context that you are bringing to it. Right. Because, right. or at least check that before you include it, because chances are that's your own baggage and doesn't belong anywhere in there. Because like I not- actually, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, it's one thing to speak truth to political power, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we should all go in there and be hard hitting journalists with, with, the guy that currently squatting the White House, right? Like, that's exactly what we should be doing. But when you're talking about, like, interviewing Whoopi Goldberg, because your magazine is giving her some sort of, like, the Vulture Honor, Honorary yeah. Lifetime Achievement Award or whatever, you know, you're, why do, a, like, why do a quote-unquote hard-hitting article? Like, why make the attempt to shame the subject? That's what I think I'm sort of getting down to. It's not like they have like probing questions to ask, like you were saying about a 27-year-old incident with Ted Danson and the blackface mm-hmm. thing that happened at the roast. That question was put out there to shame her, exactly. strictly to shame her, exactly. not because of you know we need to get to the bottom of this this has never been talked about before this is something new i'm discovering i'm breaking news here that question was simply there to shame her right it suddenly went from an interview to a trial yeah yeah and that's sort of like what what it feels like you know um that it was it was a work of of uh, it was a shaming mechanism and because what is the public going to learn from that what is the public going to learn Exactly. Um, you know, and I think, and I think that 
is like a bigger societal issue, frankly. Yeah, yeah. This is where we are right now. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I also think that that's why so many people don't like the news media. I think that's part of it. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. You know, I mean, because this, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it, it, it feels gross as a reader. You know, it sort of leaves that ick. And then I look at New York Magazine and I'm like, I don't really like their journalism. Like, I don't really like the way that they write. I well, don't like I the way can't that call it subjects, journalism at you this know? Point. And it's, it has fallen from a great height as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Because I, like I said, it's one thing to be critical. It's another thing um, to just try to make somebody, you know, and also, look bad or feel can, bad. You can and you should know the full history, but you shouldn't have to show that off in the interview when you're not the interviewee, when you're not the subject, when you're the interviewer. Know all the stuff you need to know. Put as much of it as in as is relevant, but don't have to show off that you know X, Y, Z. Right. Because you're taking it in a different direction. Um, uh, tangentially related, uh, last week I actually tweeted out an error I found in Vanity Fair. Nothing pisses me off more than checks that aren't facts that aren't checked. And there was a thing about the Spielberg adaptation of West Side Story. Right. Um, and in a, just a capsule interview with the actress Ariana DuBose, who plays Anita, um, which, yes, is a role that won an Oscar for Rita Moreno, but the writer also says, and I think she's trying to make a soft point about roles for and honors for performers of color. She mm. mentions that the role of Anita won Cheetah Rivera a Tony. And so I took a photo of the article and I tweeted it at Vanity Fair and I was like, Cheetah Rivera didn't win. A Tony for this role, nor was she even nominated. Like, oh my gosh, where do you get off? No, where do you get off? Like, not just just assuming this, and whoever else is supposed to check it doesn't be better than that. Yeah, because you wouldn't have said that. It should have come from. I looked up the role of Anita. I looked at all the awards it had won for people who portrayed it, and then I built a story or a paragraph from there. Not. I want to talk about actresses of color who have gotten awards for playing this character because that came in with a bias and the facts were wrong the fact, fact, yeah was wrong. the, the fact that's a big deal wrong. that is yeah and that's honestly the fact was cita rivera didn't get a nomination told bye bye birdie and that was a whole separate thing if you know anything about her career or broadway in the early 60s this is different if you're gonna write that you should know that I mean, it's kind of even more egregious coming from Vanity Fair because they're supposed to be. they're supposed this to be like, like that showbiz Bible, right? Right. Wow. So I'm sitting here. Vanity Fair won't even let me write for them, and I know facts, and they're publishing shit that's wrong. Did anybody from Vanity Fair respond to that? No. Like, are they even going to correct that article? Are they going to? I don't know. You know, I didn't. I only have the print. I never looked at it online. Um, but no, no one responded to me. I'm just kind of curious. Like that's, that's kind of a big deal that they should probably fix. They, they need to crack that. Yeah. Maybe I'll try and check that after this. I was just curious, you know, was it? And it's also like, I'm like, well, can this come back on me in a bad way? Will I be blackballed from some segment 
of media or life if I do this. Um, and Alyssa was like, well, no, you're right and they're wrong, so do it. So I did it. Well, you, I mean, you, I mean, why, like, it's a statement of fact. They fucked up. Right. right. Like, I mean, to me, that's a huge fuck up. Like, you know, I mean, that's a mistake. That's an error. That's an error that needs to be corrected. I mean, the New York Times would have to correct it. They would have to, they would have to be on their corrections page, you know, um, Vanity Fair should be held to the same standard for sure. Yeah, well, I found it online and it remains unchanged. Wow. Jesus. So there you go, guys. Vanity Fair, fake news. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? All right, you know what? Let me go to internetbroadwaydatabase.com. We shall look up Cheetah. I find that website hard to navigate. Wikipedia might be easier. I know. I just, I actually don't like Wikipedia. Um, so we are talking about bloop, bloop, bloop. Oh, West Side Story. God, she was in so many. Yeah. So many shows even before West Side Story. Um... And then it was Bye Bye Birdie, uh, 60, 61. All right. Hang on. Come on now. Come on. Really slow now. Really slow loading website. Here we go. Um... Oh, they did. They changed it, huh? Oh, they changed the site. Yeah. Um, oh, they really changed the site. You used to be able to just find it under their name if they got. No, you have to. You have to keep opening and clicking on different things now. It takes like five clicks to get to the truth. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. That's really the worst, because now, like, I can't even see if Cheetah Rivera got a Tony. Like, where Cheetah? Okay, yeah, no. Okay, Wikipedia it is. <laughs> well, now I'm on IBDB, and uh, I was able to find it, and I'm still right. <laughs> but, yeah, you do. Are, Go to Wikipedia. Yeah, like, you just, like, it's just, like, you just Google it, and it's all right there. Where she was a nominee, where she was the a winner, and none of them were for, um... West Side Story, which I'm certainly surprised about that. But sure. yeah. I mean, it's a reasonable assumption. Right. It is a reasonable assumption. But you shouldn't but publish wrong. assumptions. <laughs> yeah. But the assumption is wrong. Yeah. Wow. And like, and all you had to do was Google it. And there's an internet nowadays. Like, it's not that hard. Yeah. And all you had to do was Google it. It's really not that hard. Wow. She didn't even get like a Drama Desk Award. No. Did they have the Drama Desks at that time? I'm not sure. Well, she did get Drama Desk Award for, oh, 81, bringing back... Uh, for, oh, for Bring Back Birdie. Yeah, bring Back that's Birdie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe that there wasn't Drama Desk for that. Um, I think that. I think towards the late 50s through the 60s, I think there was a pause on Drama Desks, but I'm not positive. Wow. Huh. Who knew? I would have known. I would have guessed, I would have assumed that she, as well, that she had a Tony for that role, but yeah, that was something that should have been fact-checked. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that annoys me. But <laughs> but tonight, tomorrow, I might have other things more pressing to to, yeah. to ponder. So yeah, yeah. The the world is imploding. Yes. So on that note, friends, um, we wish you. Uh, I don't know. A nice four years. I don't know. I do. <laughs> um, I, I did it before, so let me shout out um, your podcast again. Oh well, thank um, you. Because I want uh, I want everyone to to know about it. Um, tell them your news about Friday. Oh right, so uh, book coming out on Friday. Um, it is called Songbird. It's the third book in my Ellie Rockstar romance series. As I mentioned on the other podcast, you. Do not need to read the whole series um, because the books can stand alone. Although, of course, I'd love for you to read the whole series. Um, but yeah, so I've got another book release on Friday. Yep, exciting. Very Songbird exciting. by El Greco. Yeah, yes, mm. El Greco. That's uh, oh, and Steam Scenes is the name of the podcast. Yes, I do a podcast where I talk to other authors about writing their steamy scenes. And I stay home and find errors in Vanity Fair. So that's how we're doing. <laughs> well, like everybody's staying home now, right? Well, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, they're just not picking up these errors in Vanity Fair. Um, I'm kind of surprised that you're like they like they haven't gotten more people saying, "Hey, Vanity Fair, you." Got yeah, this I would have assumed you know? someone louder than me at some point would have done something, or they would have quietly changed it but they didn't. I mean the comment section in the New York Times harps on the Times reporters when they you know when they get it when they get it wrong yeah and I don't want to be the dick who like goes to one of the writers and says well hey you got this wrong like look I tweeted at the magazine it's out there I'm done <laughs> I just feel I just feel superior done and well, you're welcome cheater that's worth something. Something. That's worth something. Yes. So, okay, I think we survived election night in America so far. So far. It's a, the, the night ain't over yet. No, the night ain't over yet. The week ain't over yet. So we'll see what's left. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll be back next week. Yep. Do you guys have anything that we should be catching up to? Movie, TV, book, life, culture-wise, let us know. We are all ears. Yeah, and Karen, if you end up watching Evil or Queen's Gambit, I'd love to hear what you think. I will let you know, for Great. sure. All right, you guys, wishing all of us the best, because we're all in it together. <laughs> See you next time. We hope. <laughs> See you on the boulevard. Bye. <laughs>